Welcome to another episode of the In the Limelight podcast. I'm Clarissa Burt, founder of In the Limelight Media, where we enlighten, entertain, and educate our listeners. You are tuned in to Booksmart's Authors on Show with Christy Francie. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Booksmart's Authors on Show, a creation of Clarissa Burt, founder of In the Limelight Media. I am your host, Christina Francie, and today I am thrilled to be interviewing Emily Goldmears, who is a citizen scientist, biohacker, and author of Optimizing Your Health, an approachable guide to reducing your risk of chronic disease. A former attorney, Goldmears shifted her advocacy efforts to seek information on optimizing one's health through extensive research, analysis, and science and medicine. Her research focuses on the intersection of functional and allopathic medicine and is the critical requirements for individuals to become their own healthcare advocates. Emily, it is such an honor to have you on. Thank you so much for coming on to the show today. I can't wait to dive into the topic of health. I think it's so important for people to take control of their health. They have the power to do it and they have your book to help them. So what inspired you to put all of your research into this book? Well, many things inspired me. The first thing was when my father became ill. I was fortunate enough to have a wonderful father and he got sick with vascular dementia. And I watched closely how the conventional healthcare system treated his disease. And quite frankly, I was appalled. I mean, it was it was not helpful at all. And I began researching frantically to see if there was anything I could find that could perhaps um, slow the progression of his disease. And what I found was really grim, that despite billions of dollars allocated toward drug research for neurodegenerative disease and brilliant scientists who have devoted their lives work to finding cures for these diseases, there has been very little, if any, meaningful progress. So because that was, I decided to broaden my research to see if I could find anything that was hopeful or optimistic that people could do. And I broadened it to include not just neurodegenerative disease, but many chronic diseases, because that's what's going to get most of us, Mm -hmm. chronic diseases. And under that umbrella is not just neurodegenerative disease, but autoimmune disease, uh, cancer, metabolic disease, cardiovascular disease. Those are the ones that are going to get us. And what I found was, in fact, quite optimistic and really hopeful that there are many things that we can do. Because contrary to popular belief, these diseases have a very small genetic component, maybe 10%. So most of them are due to our lifestyle choices and our environment. And the reason why that's great news is because we can have some control over our environment and our lifestyle choices perhaps less so with our environment, but we can to a degree. And so I found so such great information that I was inspired to share what I learned. I thought people need to know this because many of the things that I learned are either free or low cost. And so there's not a lot of financial incentive for the business community to promote some of these steps. So I thought, I'm going to compile everything I learned into a comprehensive book, a guide that people can use to really optimize their health and maybe not avoid disease. We're all going to die at one point, but at least they can postpone the onset. And that's how it came to be. No, I think it's so important. You know, these drug companies thrive off 
our sicknesses. And so it's almost like they promote it with the foods and the things and it's a vicious cycle. And some people don't even know the products that they're using can cause these diseases. Um, and so I think it's really great that you, you know, took all of your effort and put it all into a book so people can have a comprehensive guide on how to kind of minimize or stop, you know, having these diseases. So I'm, I'm curious uh, to know what are some surprising toxins we may not realize are that are in our homes and in our personal care products that we should be aware of? Well, there are so many, Christina. Currently, the U.S. permits 85,000 chemicals in our food, our water, commercial products that we put on our skin, used to clean, store food in, wear, sleep on, grow crops with, and more. We are literally surrounded by toxins that have not been adequately tested for safety, and many that are banned in other countries. Phthalates, are petroleum-based chemicals that make plastic soft and flexible. They are in personal care products, wood finishes, detergents, solvents, insecticides, building materials, meat and dairy products, and fast food. The chemicals soak through the packaging and permeate into the food. Titanium dioxide is another chemical that's been classified as a group two carcinogen, and it's used in food, creamer, candy, toothpaste, chewing gum, sunscreen, bronzers, makeup, soap, lotions, and even some medications and supplements. Another one are parabens. These are a group of chemicals that are preservatives used in cosmetic and pharmaceutical products. They're used to prevent the growth of bacteria and mold and to extend the life of a product. Those are just a few, but there are so many more chemicals that we are exposed to on a regular basis. And there are things that we can do maybe not to eliminate all chemicals and toxins, but definitely we can reduce our toxin exposure. And so we must do that. Oh yeah, no, I agree. It's kind of like, I feel like the, the America is like the experiment of all these chemicals. Cause like you said, and, and I've heard this too, is a lot of these things are banned in other countries and it kind of makes you question like, well, why not here in the United States? I mean, we're just about making profits, making, you know, the shelf life longer. Like it's not fair to us citizens to have to, it's almost like we can't escape it in a way, you know, it's everywhere. Well, we can't fully escape it. That's correct. But we can definitely reduce our exposure. We can do it. It requires a little bit of effort, a little bit of work, a little bit of due diligence, but doing all of that will yield a positive result. You can get an air filter and filter out some of the bad components in your air, indoor air being problematic. Mm -hmm. You can get a water filter, which one should do. And there's a variety of different water filters that one can purchase depending upon how much you want to spend and how many chemicals you want to filter. And then one can familiarize themselves with the chemicals that are in our personal care products, our cleaning products, our cookware. And there's so many non-toxic brands available today that people can definitely improve their situation. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to just be mindful and have the knowledge and to take the power into yourself and how to navigate, you know, what not to buy and, and how to mitigate, you know, chemicals coming into our water and foods. And it just, it, it literally makes, it makes me a little bit sick to my stomach knowing that 
we are exposed to all these chemicals because it does cause like neurological issues, you know, and they know it and they still do it. Um, it's just kind of crazy to me. You know, it's not really taking care of like the citizens. <laughs> it's just using us to make products and getting us sick. <laughs> Profit motive really seems to overwhelm everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious to know what's your philosophy on supplements. So I have an evolving, but very strong philosophy on supplements. And the reason for that is because one, like all of these topics, it's nuanced and it's complicated. I believe that supplements serve a good purpose because the reality is our soil has been depleted of minerals. So the food that we are eating is not nearly as nutrient rich as it once was. Mm -hmm. And also as we age, we lose certain enzymes and people are just not that healthy. And so supplements can serve a really good purpose to improve those areas. Now, having said that, my belief and my suggestion is that one should never take a supplement uh, that they read about in an article or that their friend tells them about unless they have done some minimal testing first. And while it may cost a little bit upfront to do some testing, it will save you a lot of money in the long run. Supplements are expensive. And at best, you will waste your money on supplements that you don't need or, or you know, are superfluous. And at worst, you could be harming yourself. So if you put a little money out front to find out what your baseline is, you can determine where your deficiencies are. And inherent in the definition of the word supplement means it's something that you need to add to where you are deficient. Mm -hmm. Now, having said that, I have to expose the fact is that it's like the wild, wild west, the supplement industry. It's something like a $200 billion industry, which is growing by leaps and bounds. Everyone and their brother is selling supplements. It's shocking to me. There used to be some conflict of interest for doctors to sell supplements that would prevent them. That doesn't seem to exist anymore. And the reality is, is there are 14 conglomerates who've purchased up all the smaller supplement makers. Mm. Many of the small supplement makers started with a really pure mission. They wanted to put out and sell a quality product. But then the conglomerates see how much money there is in these supplements. They buy up the small companies and they change the mission. And their bottom line is simply how much money that they can make. And as a result, oftentimes the label does not match with what's actually in the capsule or the tablet, whether it's the dose or whether they've added things like excipients and fillers and binders to bulk up the capsules, which we don't need to be ingesting. Mm -hmm. And all sorts of other things. I mean, quality control is hard to come by, but having said that, there are third-party certifications that people can look for to determine that whether or not their brand is well-sourced. Yeah, so I have a question. It just kind of brought to my attention. Um, so you know how like supplements and sometimes pills are in plastic? Like like you digest them and they're like like little clear plastic So like, is that bad for us too? Is digesting like the plastic of the supplements that it's contained in? Well, it's a good question. And nobody really knows the answer to that other than 
we digest the plastic. It's not, you know, our, we break down the plastic. But the fact is, is plastics are a bad component for mm -hmm. our biology. They really are. What used to be BPA, everyone became outraged by the bad chemicals involved in BPA. And it was changed to something else, which turns out to have been just as bad. So we have microplastics everywhere. That's in the food that we eat. It's in the ocean. It's in the salt. It's everywhere. We do not need to be ingesting plastics. So one can go for tablet if they're concerned about that. But there's no perfection. I mean, at one point, one has to just say everything is a trade-off and you have to weigh the risks and the benefits. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to know what your thought was on it because I know some people are trying to be like plastic free and they had mentioned um, supplements and pills and the plastic. And it, I was like, oh yeah, like that's just another way that we're, you know, digesting plastics. And I just wanted to know your thoughts on that. It's a though. good point. And you can go for tablets or a lot of times there are liquid formulations of many vitamins and minerals. And sometimes those are more bioavailable. We do better with the liquid formulations anyway. And that's a mm -hmm. good way to bypass the plastics. Okay. Yeah. Those, thanks for the, for the advice for that. So can you give us um, insight on testing and health tracking devices? I can. This is one of my favorite chapters in my book. First of all, there's an adage that says that you cannot fix what you can't measure. So if you haven't done at least some rudimentary testing, you don't know what's going on inside. I am fascinated, fascinated by all the testing available and it's growing by leaps and bounds. You can literally test everything. And what that does for you is it helps you collect the data and that data is useful. Now you wanna be able to interpret the data effectively in order to make the appropriate changes. But as I said, you can test everything and I think it's a first good step because then you can find out, for instance, in your gut, what is the level of your dysbiosis, which we all have an imbalance of good versus bad bacteria. But you'd like to be able to identify that because for instance, probiotics are out there. There's many different strains of probiotics and it's possible that you might have an abundance of one strain and you randomly choose a probiotic. You're feeding that abundant strain that you already have and that's not doing you any favors. Mm -hmm. So if you can identify the strains of bacteria that exist in your gut, you can choose your probiotic accordingly. And that's true of everything. If you are you know, low in a certain vitamin or mineral or micronutrient, and most of us are deficient in our micronutrients, you can identify specifically which ones and treat those. Mm -hmm. So that's my theory on testing. I think it's very valuable. And tracking is another area that I love. There are all these devices that are emerging. Now, two of the ones that are my favorites, which I write about in my book, one is the Aura Ring, which I'm wearing right now. And that comes out of Finland. And what that does is that gives you many different metrics on both your sleep and your exercise. I think it's better in the sleep category than it is in the exercise category. And it's probably not 100% accurate, but that's okay because it gives you very useful data. It tells you how much REM sleep that you received last night or had last night, how much deep sleep. It talks about your HRV, which is, stands for heart rate variability. And that's a metric for stress. That's a really important thing to know about your mm -hmm. respiratory state while you're sleeping, how many breaths that you are taking. You don't want to be over breathing at night, your body temperature. It gives you so much fascinating information. And what you can do is it inspires you to really improve your sleep. 
Yeah. So that's one of my favorite tracking devices. And the other one, and there's so many more, but I'll just talk about two, is something called the Continuous Glucose Monitor or a CGM for short. This is a device that was designed for people with diabetes, both diabetes one and diabetes two, but it has great utility for people who do not have diabetes. And what it is, it's a little device that you have to get a prescription for, but most doctors are usually amenable to give you a prescription. You pick up the device and you can go on YouTube to find out how you install it. You just put it either on the back of your arm or your stomach. Mm -hmm. And it's a very easy thing to install. You pair it with your phone and then you wave your phone next to the device before you eat, after you eat, two hours later, after you've exercised, when you wake up in the morning. And what it tells you is what your glucose situation is, which is critically important for disease. Mm -hmm. These glucose spikes that many of us experience contribute to disease. They really do. And we are all genetically different and biochemically different. And so what works for one person may not work for the next. For instance, one person could eat a banana or a carrot, seemingly benign whole foods, and they could spike glucose. And the next person could have no response whatsoever. So it's good to know how you respond to food. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I've never heard of that. It's so amazing, like all the technology that they come up with, you know, you just swipe your phone next to the patch and it gives you all of your information. No, those are great. And the ring seems really um, amazing too. Um, So what is something you wish that everyone knew about their overall health? I wish that everyone knew that they can and they really should take control and become their own healthcare advocate. Gone is the day where we outsource all of our health to our healthcare practitioner. There are so many reasons why that no longer works. The healthcare practitioners are squeezed by the insurance companies. They don't have enough time to allot to each patient. And nobody knows your body better than you do. You know how you respond to everything far better than the doctor does. So if everyone will at the very least collaborate with their doctor or their healthcare practitioner, that will improve their outcome. And they should know that while there's so many things that one can do, they shouldn't be overwhelmed because small incremental improvements will yield a difference. And hopefully when people make these changes, they'll be incentivized to continue down that path and do more. Okay, well, that's so great. Emily, you have such great information. You have such a fruitful conversation. So where can people find this book? Well, the book is available online at Amazon, Target, Walmart, whoever sells books online is available in independent booksellers. I have a website, emilygoldmears.com, that also leads you to the purchase. And I hope that people will buy the book and find it useful and helpful. Okay. Well, Emily, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Booksmart's Authors on Show. It was such an honor to have you on. And thank you everyone for listening to this week's episode of Booksmarts. And I hope to see you all in the next one. Thank you, Christina. Thanks for listening to this episode of Booksmart's Authors on Show here on the In the Limelight Podcast Network, where we enlighten, entertain, and educate our listeners. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe. And don't forget to tell your friends.